Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. We're going to discuss the Minnesota Vikings' search for a new defensive coordinator under head coach Kevin O'Connell. The team let go Ed Donatel after one year last week. That was an expected move after all the struggles on defense and after how good Daniel Jones looked in that playoff loss. Uh, we should start with that news, though. And, Ben, what is the latest on the Minnesota Vikings' search for a new head assistant? Well, we are up to four known candidates at this point. Uh, the three that have been external, which we've, we've kind of talked about in the past or at least over the weekend, uh, Brian Flores from the Steelers, former Dolphins head coach, obviously. Uh, Sean Desai from the Seahawks, who had interviewed for the job last year, uh, coming out of the Bears' uh, defensive structure there. And uh, Ryan Nielsen from the Saints, who is their defensive line coach slash co-defensive coordinator, very similar uh, job function, job structure to what Andre Patterson had had, also working for a defensive head coach in Dennis Allen down there. The newest name on the list is the first internal candidate, Mike Pettin, assistant head coach, sort of a right-hand man of sorts, assistant to the regional manager, as he jokingly put it, to Kevin O'Connell. Uh, when I sat down with him last summer, is interviewing for the job this week before Brian Flores interviews for the job as well. So uh, that's where we're at at the moment. There could be others. I Jiro Evero, if he does not get a head coaching job, which he's up for a couple of those, I would expect he becomes a candidate if he doesn't get the head coach spot he's obviously seeking. But uh, as of the as of where we sit on Wednesday. We've got four candidates for the job at the moment, and uh, we'll see kind of where they go from here. Four different candidates schematically, I think, which is notable. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a number of different ways they could go with this thing. And, and the head coaching search and other teams competing for defensive coordinator candidates may have as much to say about where this ends up as anything else. Yeah, Ben, do you think there is a front runner at all, or is it just having to wait and see who how this plays out? You know, I I think it would be a little bit speculative of me to say that there's a clear front runner. I mean, Sean Desai is the name that has kind of stuck out to me simply because he did interview for it last year, and he has coached under Vic Fangio. If you want to keep that scheme, that seems like a logical way to do it. Um, do they want to keep the scheme? I, I think is a fair question because how many of the issues were the scheme? How many of the issues were the way they called it? How many of the issues were the personnel? Yeah, I, I think there's probably blame to assign in all of those categories. And it'll be interesting to see if Kevin O'Connell says, yeah, we want to keep this. We just need to do it a little bit differently, or we need to get different personnel to execute it differently. Um, I, I have tended to think he likes the scheme. He likes the idea of it, but if you bring in somebody like Brian Flores, it's going to look different. I mean, it, Brian Flores does not come from that background. So that's a man-heavy, Bill Belichick-type defense that you'll see him probably come in with. So if he gets the job, it's going to look quite a bit different than it did last year. So, you know, I, I think it's a little early to say at this point. But I, I do think it's interesting that they are at least considering... I mean, like, Ryan Nielsen comes from a 4-3. So they are not... At least the... The interview candidates they brought in would not tell you that they are completely married to doing things the way that they did them last year. When I do look at these candidates, I, I think the one thing that sticks out is they do seem to come from more aggressive defenses, yes. right? 
Yeah. Um, you talk about Flores and the aggressive man defense, Sean Desai's ties to Vic Fangio. Obviously, Ed Donatel had those ties, and we didn't know just how passive they would coach that until he got together. in the building. Desai and Donatel were on the same staff a couple times in, uh, in Chicago. Yeah, so I guess the aggressiveness of some of these back, the, of some of the backgrounds of the candidates, I guess, sticks out to me. Yeah, I mean, from from my standpoint, I guess it would be, I think, to Ben's point, I feel, feel like it would be surprising to see them switch schemes after one year. I, I feel like O'Connell is the kind of guy that seems so organized and was so prepped for this opportunity. He had been thinking about things along the way, what he wanted to do if he got into this seat. That it seems strange that they would say uh no actually no the three four and this style of defense isn't what we want to play it does feel like they would want to probably not make wholesale changes and teach everybody a new thing on top of what they already taught them but then again maybe they saw it was like not nah, actually this isn't good and maybe it doesn't fit our personnel it just it just would seem surprising to see them switch that after a year but maybe it's also a sign of you know if if it does like you said end up going in a certain direction maybe it's just a sign of seeing it in theory versus practice and seeing what your personnel is and what you want to do going forward and seeing how the leagues are kind of scheming things offensively and thinking, ah, we do have to go in another direction. So that'll be, that'll be pretty interesting to watch. Well, I mean, the, the personnel question I think is, is an interesting one too, because I think there's an argument to be made. It didn't fit their personnel all that well last year. I mean, no. they had, they had some guys like Daniel Hunter that are athletic enough that you can stand them up, move them around that sort of thing, but they don't have the, types of bodies on the defensive line that you typically would associate with a 3-4. I get Dalvin Tomlinson certainly can meet that standard, but there's there's not like a a game-wrecking defensive end type guy that can, you know, and they're not two-gapping all the time. They're, they're not wanting guys that automatically take up two blockers at all times or, or can man two gaps, but the fact that you have a three-man front requires you to do a little bit more of that, and I think the fact that they didn't have the kind of experience at safety that you might figure you need with some of the, the different looks and let's present a two-deep shell and we're going to change everything up and have all of this take on a different shape after the ball is snapped to confuse the quarterback. They didn't have quite the level of experience, quite the level of communication perhaps that you want to do that if you're going to do it effectively. I mean, Harrison Smith certainly has played for an awfully long time, but Harrison Smith has played a role and enjoys playing in a role that moves him around. I mean, I've had this conversation with him. He he very much liked the way he was being used under Mike Zimmer, and we saw some more of that towards the end of the season. <clears throat> Having him in a two-deep shell all of the time with especially a young safety next to him, whether Cam Bynum, Josh Metellus, that isn't always going to get it right that was a that was a gamble, and they were not in a spot to be able to completely overhaul the personnel defensively. Kind of had to make some changes on the margins. So, you know, it's an interesting question at this point of do you abandon it after a year? Because they they kind of planted a flag with this type of a scheme last year and said this is what we want to do. So yeah, it, it would be notable if they said no, we're going to go you know, like back to a 4-3 or something at this point. I don't think that's what's going to happen. O'Connell really hasn't been with a lot of teams that run 4-3s. It's, you know, the, the defenses he's been around have been 3-4 bases. We probably make too big a deal out of that, given how much time team spends in nickel, as he said when I asked him about it last week. But I, I think it would be certainly notable if they went in a different direction this quickly. 
Yeah, when you talk about the nickel stuff, that just illustrates to me and underlines how important it is for them to get more and better corners and get better yeah. play out of their corners. Um, we talk about personnel and stuff. They they had such a rotating you know carousel and cast of um, young and experienced players down to their best player being a five foot eight. Uh, cast off from the Bears um, opposite Patrick Peterson. So um, Patrick Peterson's future is going to be really fascinating for this team, and so is uh, what they do at, at slot corner with Chandon Sullivan, a free agent, and then, yeah, all those young guys. I think Cameron Mantha's future too. is interesting as well. I mean, I, I'm not so sure yeah. that he's in their plans going forward. Yeah, and I guess he's cheap enough. Maybe just keep him around and see sure. what he can do, and then you you wait to cut him if you do until after camp or something. I don't know, but Andrew, um, are you suggesting they need more than just one more? They might. Uh, they don't have a lot of picks to get a lot more, but yeah, the old uh, Mike Zimmer adage might apply here. I I don't believe Zim, despite the uh, it's somewhat tongue in cheek, I think. Um, urging of Vikings Twitter. I don't believe Zim is a candidate for the job, just to, to clear that up. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think so either, especially because their defense, in, their defenses in 2020 and 2021 were no good either, in case people forgot that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Zim fits the culture uh, that Kevin O'Connell <laughs> likes to talk about. Yeah, um, like a million what, reasons. What a, what a, a mil- ride that would be, though. There's a million reasons why that wouldn't work, but there's a million reasons why that would be just awesome. So... Oh, that, that would be a ride. We that root would. for stories. We root for stories here, so let's go for that one. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about the, the NFL playoffs here, the, the final four teams, the top two seeds in the NFC and the one and three seeds in the AFC. Um, front runners, the lot of them, except for the Buffalo Bills falling short. Uh, what, what are your guys' just first impressions of watching those games last weekend and what we're going to be watching this weekend? Ben, what did you think? Well, I mean, the Eagles-Giants, I guess, is the one that probably is the most locally specific, I guess, in the sense that it was the team that knocked the Vikings out against one of the teams that first kind of exposed some of the flaws or some of the questions that we had about the Vikings going forward uh, when the the Eagles, of course, beat them in Week 2. That one, to me, was a reminder, if we needed one, that... Investing in your lines of scrimmage is never a bad way to go. I mean, that game changed because the Eagles were able to get pressure on Daniel Jones in a way the Vikings were not, and the Eagles' offensive line did a great job keeping a very good Giants front from affecting the game in the way it did, certainly late in the game when Dexter Lawrence basically took it over against the Vikings. So, you know, the Eagles have had that for a while they've invested in that facet of their team for quite a long time but I thought that came through pretty loud and clear in that one and you'd probably say the same for the 49ers in the sense that you know they've put a good line in front of Brock Purdy has made it a little easier for him to do the job in year one and and they have a group that that gets quite a bit of pressure and is able to win up front on the defensive side of things as well so um, you know it's just if you have a game wrecker type player like uh, Micah Parsons, like some of the guys Armstead, some of the guys the 49ers have, the the group that the Eagles have, Hassan Reddick has been awfully good in the playoffs. You know, the Giants, we saw it firsthand a, a week ago. Man, it, it makes such a difference. And I, I think that 
has been a need for the Vikings, has not been a need that's been addressed with a lot of high draft picks, but that was one of the big themes to me, is just that having that pass rushing, that the consistent pressure presence, um, it, it, they had it at times, but you also saw lulls from Sedarius Smith and, and Daniil Hunter, not in a way that you've seen from these other teams, and uh, I, I think that kind of reinforced to me that that's a big part of trying to get yourself over the top. Yeah, Mike, the people the Eagles are bringing off the bench, I mean, just, just the list of yeah. defensive linemen the Eagles have, it's ridiculous. Hassan Reddick, Javon Hargrave has 11 sacks for them up the middle. Josh Sweat has 11 sacks for them off the edge. Brandon Graham is 34. He has 11 sacks this year. Yeah. They still have Fletcher Cox and Adamican Sue. They signed Linval Joseph in November. Um, who else do they have? They've got the rookie nose tackle out of Georgia, Jordan Davis. Um, they, I mean, they could field two starting NFL defensive yeah. lines. The Vikings couldn't even field one. <laughs> so, no. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you've seen – maybe that's like the – the you know it's a maybe it's a little bit of a cheap shot and then you know it's not exactly true because I think the Vikings defensive line was not necessarily the the weakness all year but you did see like in the you've seen in these playoffs even though the Vikings were 13 and 4 you see the gap between what they were and what especially these last four teams are right like these are you know these are the truly elite teams left and you know some some very good teams have already been Dispatched. I think the the Dallas was certainly better than the Vikings this year, and Dallas is already out. Um, you know, you've seen some other teams get get you know get removed from the playoffs along the way already in the division round. I guess the one thing that stands out to me as I think about the four teams left, and maybe this is an entree into our favorite quarterback, Kirk Cousins. But none of these guys fit the Kirk Cousins profile. They're either very young and on their first contracts, or very very good or both like a guy like Joe Burrow like in in the NFL right now we've said this over and over and over again it's hard to compete at a championship level when your quarterback is neither one of the five best or um one of the you know on a cheap rookie deal it's just hard to do and and I think that's underscored again I mean obviously the 49ers are, are maybe a bit of an anomaly because they're on their third quarterback now. They're paying Garoppolo a certain amount this year. They had invested in a you know in a guy like Trey Lance, but you know even that you know Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, he's got them in this spot, and they are there because they had a cheap cheap backup option. You know Philadelphia's got Jalen Hurts. He's on a cheap cheap contract right now. Uh, you're talking about guys like Patrick Mahomes and uh, and and Joe Burrow. I'm like this is not the the Cousins profile. I'm not saying. Vikings got to get rid of Kirk Cousins. It reinforces to me how much easier it makes your life if you've got one or both of those factors in your quarterback. Yeah, Ben, you and I were talking earlier this season, uh, not even that long ago, about how there are so few teams that have one of the highest-paid wide receivers and a really high-paid quarterback. Yeah, yeah, and it, it makes it difficult because you, at this point, are paying receivers like quarterbacks. I mean, it, Justin Jefferson is – going to come to the table and ask for more than $30 million a year. I would be stunned if that's not what he's looking for. Because, I mean, Tyreek Hill has basically hit that ceiling and he has every reason to say, look, I'm just as good. I'm a lot younger. You can give me a deal for five years and be reasonably confident I'm going to be worth it. Because by the time I'm done with it, I'm only 28 years old. So, and maybe 29 because you'll tack on a year in there. But 
you know, still, you're, you're not signing Justin Jefferson into his 30s with this contract. He's so young that it's going to be expensive, and it's not hard for him to sit there and say, I am worth this amount of money. When he's, I mean, the guy is an MVP finalist for at the receiver position. That just doesn't happen very often. A receiver has never won the award. Nobody's finished as highly as second since Jerry Rice was second in 1987. So he is going to get paid like a quarterback. And then if you are also paying Kirk Cousins $35, 40 million dollars a year, which you're going to have to make that decision again this offseason with Cousins, it is a tough thing to do. And they have certainly not made things easier in the sense that, you know, you're paying off ball linebackers $10 million, you're paying running backs $14 million. Some of those Mike Zimmer kind of pet projects, I guess, in some ways, things that Zimmer liked for his philosophy are still on the books, and they're going to have to make decisions there as well. Harrison Smith, Adam Thielen, you you kind of go down the line. But when you are potentially looking at a scenario where you are paying Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins like a quarter of your cap, it is you got to be really good everywhere else to make that work. Yeah, yeah, because they are going to have to pay him $30 million a year, as you had mentioned, and Kirk Cousins has one year left on his contract. And we got a lot of questions in the mailbag about Kirk um, and the direction of this team moving forward in general. We should mention, um, as Bennett stated, that Jefferson is a finalist for the NFL MVP, also a finalist for the Offensive Player of the Year, and he was one of two unanimous first-team All-Pro picks with Travis Kelsey, um, one of the first questions I wanted to get to, though, was from Dave from Canada. Wants to know, and he spells defense with a C. Which nice. Is great. Love it. Pretty great. He says, the number of new starters on the defense in 2023. Ooh. How many do you guys think? And so out of the – they've got at least Patrick Peterson, Dalvin Tomlinson, free agents among the starters. Chandon Sullivan I would put in there as a starter, and Nickel among yep. the free agents. Uh, so that's three of them. Um, Cap questions with Eric Hendricks, Jordan Hicks, Harrison Smith. Yep, so that's three more. Um, Then you're probably going to have a new starting corner on the outside, whoever that is, if that's the guy already on the roster, somebody they take in the first round. If you look at every mock draft at the end of January, um, I I don't know who else. That's seven potential. That's if they were to make just complete wholesale changes. It could be up to seven, but I would say safely probably half of that, three or four. What do yeah. you guys think? It could be more than that. I mean, yeah. it. I, I think the question of what happens with the linebackers is going to be an interesting one because I think Eric Kendricks, you, you could possibly see him coming back on a restructured deal. Um, it wouldn't stun me if he did that. Jordan Hicks... Six million dollars or so on on the cap number, I think, and they could say four and a half million if they if they cut him. So, you know, what do you do there? I think is is going to be a question going forward. Is Brian Asamoa a guy that starts if you're looking for a cheap contributor, a cheap starter at that spot? Um, you know, so if one or both of those changes, Dalvin Tomlinson, I think, is a really interesting question because if you don't bring him back, he's already on your books for seven and a half million dollars. So because of those void years that are left on his deal. So there is a way that you could say, well, you know, we don't want to pay him top dollar, but if we can come to a price that he thinks is fair, it allows us a little bit of wiggle room anyway from what we already have him on the books, because then those void years would become 
annual things, not all hitting the cap at once. But you know, that's an interesting one. Um, the other defensive end spot with a Jonathan Bullard had, I, I could certainly see that changing. Um, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's five or six new starters. It you know, guys like Harrison Smith, you have to make decisions there too. So. Um, it's it's a lot to determine, a lot to figure out, especially when you don't have a lot of money. But, yeah, it would not surprise me at all if there are quite a few new starters on this thing next year. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I am inclined to think it's like half, four, somewhere between four and six new starters. Um, and what complicates it, like we've talked about, is I think they would probably like to turn the page a little bit more, but not only did... Andrew Booth Jr. and Lewis Seen, you know, not necessarily win, you know, a lot of playing time right away. They got hurt, and, you know, rather significantly in both cases, especially in Seen's case, they don't really know what they have in either of those guys, and they don't know exactly how healthy they're going to be. And same with the Caleb Evans, who had shown some things as a rookie. So I think if they had more of a sample size from those guys, these would be easier questions in the secondary, at least. And I think they probably like Asamoa enough to move on from at least one of those linebackers, and I could imagine the the front seven being restructured a lot. Um, so it's a good question. I, I Somewhere between four and six feels like the right number just based on how ineffective the defense was and how much money some of these guys are making. Dave, if you have any questions on Garrett Bradbury in the future, um, we would happily take them knowing how you'll likely spell center. So <laughs> mailbag's open for you. <laughs> um, we did have a question about who would be who would surprise you guys the most if they were still on the roster in 2023? This is from Joe, and I thought it was a good question. Who would surprise the most if they were still on the roster in 2023? Um, this is a multiple choice, or are we just naming a name? And then he didn't even give any options. It was just, you know, yeah, free form. What do you what do you think? And thinking through it, I guess I would say. Irv Smith, maybe? I would just assume with the TJ trade, what they're paying him, um, Johnny Munt, their, their, fade, their famed bear killer, as Wes Phillips calls him, uh, still on the roster as tight end, too. I, just, I guess I would think that the Irv Smith era, for what it was, is over. It was a good pick. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I think in terms of like anybody who played more this year i guess i'd be i'd be pretty surprised if jordan hicks was back not not because he was you know particularly bad and i think he was good in the locker room i think they liked what he brought but it just feels like that's the most seamless kind of transition that he felt like he was a one-year stopgap and they'd like asamoa quite a bit and that's the logical move in from there to there i mean the, the name i'd throw out there i think it's chandon sullivan um I'm not sure if they will have other options. I mean, that that's the question at that position is how do you staff it knowing Patrick Peterson's a free agent, knowing you don't know what you have in Andrew Booth or a Caleb Evans from a health perspective. But I, I certainly think the year Chandon Sullivan had, I would be a little surprised if he's back. I, I just think they'll probably be led to go a different direction in that spot. Didn't, didn't QBs have one, like a didn't okay. QBs have a passer rating of like over a hundred when they targeted him? Yeah, yeah, that ain't good. One of the lowest in the league yeah. at the slot corner position. I just remember one time Wes Phillips was telling some story about I can't remember if it was going against the Packers 
Yeah, must have been going against the Packers when he was with the Rams in previous recent seasons. And he just talked about how, yeah, at the time their defense had some trouble with the slot corner. And I, I turned the, and, and to the person next to me, and the, they immediately go, that was Chandon. Like, <laughs> Chandon was their slot corner who they had problems with, and now you were on the team uh, with that guy giving you all those problems. You were right. He was not, he was not very good. I want to flip that question on its head, though. Um, who among the free agents do you expect most to return? Um, among Peterson, Dalvin Tomlinson? Because I think Tomlinson would be my pick. Just Ben laid out some of the reasoning uh, already right there, but Mike, who do you think you would most expect to return? I mean, I I think Tomlinson's a good pick. I think I think Patrick Peterson still, if he if he likes it enough here, I don't know if I don't know what the contract value is. If it's somewhere between the for the first contract he signed here in twenty one and the bargain he signed in twenty two, but I think there's still some there's still something to that at the level of play he provided and just you know kind of bringing this group together to a certain degree. I know Ben wrote, I think it was Ben that wrote the story about him, you know, having people over for dinner and kind of like doing yep. the film study, stuff like that. Like a guy like that's got a lot of like added value that they probably see as a culture character guy who's still contributing. So I would say he's got to be high on a list for me, at least, especially in a, in a, you know, defensive backfield with a lot of question marks. Yeah. Ben, what do you think? Who, um, who among the free agents would you expect most to return? <sighs> I mean, Peterson, I think, would probably be my pick as well. I mean, it's it's always a little bit strange to say that with a corner heading into year 12 or year 13, I think year 13, um, in 2023, but I just don't think they have a lot of other options. I mean, you don't, you don't know what you have with a lot of that group, and he's shown he's still durable. He's shown he can play in this system. Now, I think that the question would be if they did hire – Brian Flores and say we're going to go back to a man scheme where you're going to play a lot of man coverage. That would be a little bit of a strange fit, I think, for him at this point, given how much we heard him talk about and how much we heard them talk about the way that this scheme helped preserve him in 2022. So, you know, that part, I guess we we reserve the right to change that opinion based on what they do in the secondary. But I would say he's a good pick. I think... Um, just trying to think through the rest of the free agents in terms of other guys that would be there's there's Greg there's Greg Joseph there's Garrett Bradbury yeah. Alexander Madison who I wouldn't expect back um, Dalvin Tomlinson Patrick Peterson as we mentioned um, I think that's pretty much everybody of yeah. note we mentioned Chandon Sullivan Irv Smith Jr. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think of those names, it's probably yeah. I think Peterson probably sticks out to me as the one that would be at the top of it. I mean, Greg Joseph. I I guess you have to decide what you want to do there. But um, actually, you know, I will I will go off the board here well, and say the one that I think is most likely to be back is Andrew DePaulo. Nah, he is great yeah. as well. First pro bowler. Run. All pro, Chief, right? Was he all pro or pro bowler? Yeah. Yeah, all pro and pro bowler. Yeah. Okay. Um, that may feel like a cop out, but you don't get rid of long snappers when they're good. You just—it's not a thing you mess with. So that would be. <laughs> I, I think love, if we want to get cute with it, that'd be the one. I love how the Vikings had to make like those all pro social cards, and it's Justin Jefferson and Andrew DePaula, and it's just like yeah. it's deserving, of course, but it's just like funny to see like guy who's like you know one of the best athletes in the world, and then you know. The long snapper, 
And he's a great long snapper, but it was just very funny to see it. I will say this. I've seen them both play softball, and one of them is a lot better than the other one. Yes, that's true. That's true. not Justin Jefferson. No, no, I believe that's true. (laughs) One of them has a body built like a beer league softball player, too. That is also true. It's not Justin Jefferson. It's those bagels from the uh, the bagel shop in <laughs> in Maryland that became Kirk Cousins' uh, t-shirt press conference attire That's late, right. late in the season. Uh, Nick wants to know is that the defense is time to shine yet? <laughs> that's, the, that's never going to get old, is it? Never going to get old. <laughs> Uh, he, I, I think he was the one too who had mentioned that we should use that Donatel clip to end we our should. podcast. But I don't, I don't know. I didn't want to drag, uh, kick a guy while he was down. Uh, in after just one year with Mike Zimmer, after ten years, it was fine. But uh, <laughs> with Ed Donatel after one year, I didn't want to necessarily do that. I've got the um, clip if you want it. I've, I, <laughs> I did use it on daily delivery right before the playoffs. I think so, or right after the playoffs were done. We do need we, a new one, though. I mean, we could take we could take nominations for this. Yeah, we we do. We should uh, we should open it up for for nominations certainly. Um, all right, um, send them to us along with all of the questions that you've got. Some scrolling through more of them here. Uh, Thomas wants to know. Please, please, please tell me, Quasi and Kevin likely have a plan to draft a quarterback within the next two years. Uh, just in general, though, with Kirk Cousins' career, how much longer, Ben, do you expect him to keep playing? Well, I mean, he's certainly healthy enough to play for a while. I mean, he's he's not been an injury risk whatsoever, despite the fact that he gets hit an awful lot. Um, I, the question, I think, would be, does he want to play? I don't think he's going to be Tom Brady. I don't think he's going to play until he's 42, 43 years old. He talked in one press conference this year about, I think when his son was in there, about wanting to play long enough that his kids remember it. But I think his oldest son is five, I want to say. So you know, you're, you're getting to the point where three, four more years, he'd certainly have a lot of memories of it. Um, I, I don't think he's going to push into his 40s. I, I, I just, in some conversations with him, I don't get the sense that he is eyeing that at this point and maybe that changes you know maybe you say well i'm still still enjoying it feel like it's still feeling like i'm playing at a high level i'm going to keep rolling with it but no i i wouldn't think he's here another seven eight years yeah i don't or wherever here in the nfl i i don't know that he's going to do that so if you're the vikings are you saying are we planning for the future beyond him this year are we planning for you know a couple of years from now that some of that question is how far do you feel like you can go with him? When you're talking about, you know, playing in a championship standard, do you feel like he can get you there? And I think that's always the question with him. And it's going to be another interesting offseason with that question because they, they were very complimentary of him publicly this year. But I will be very curious to hear what they say kind of when they go back and evaluate the season and kind of look more critically at, everything he did now that they've gotten a little chance to be removed from it. That question is uh, going to be very, very fascinating because I, I don't think he's going to, I mean, he, he just hasn't taken team friendly deals in the past. That has not been his MO. Um, you know, different guys have different approaches on that. I'm not saying that one is better or worse than another. I mean, people, I think get mad at, at players for, not taking less money, but 
it's like these guys are the ones putting their bodies on the line every week, and they are the ones whose earnings drop way off a cliff as soon as they're done playing. So I don't really have you – know, this is me editorializing a little here, but I don't have a big problem with players trying to get as much as they can because they're the reason we tune in every week too. So, um, you know, so but it does make it a little bit different when he's saying, I'm, I'm going to take a market rate deal, and it's probably not going to be a terribly long deal. So that does make it a little harder to manage with the cap, and that's going to be kind of the question they have to weigh is how long do you want to play that game with him? Yeah, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I think a couple of things. I think, one, like, regardless of what your plans are, you probably should be drafting a quarterback, you know, in the first at least two or three rounds. And, I mean, they tried that with Kellen Mond. That didn't work out so great. But, like, how high you want to draft somebody probably gives you gives us a little bit of a window into how soon they see a succession plan, whether it's because of Kirk Cousins' age or because they just feel like they need a change of the guard at a certain point. Ben, I, ben and Andrew, my question to you guys is, if your cousins and the Vikings come to you and say, you know what, uh, it's been great, we, we, we liked what we got in 2022, but we don't think this is the long-term vision we have for the position. If your cousins, would you rather play out 2023 and then hit free agency, or would you rather them try to work a trade this offseason to a team that will extend you right away and that wants you at this moment? It's a good question. I because I I know he likes it here. I know he likes Minnesota and, and a lot of what he feels like he has here with Kevin O'Connell. I I think you'd have to. I'll say this. I think you'd have to feel really good about the situation to say or the situation you'd be going to to say let me step out of here because if your alternative is okay, I'm here for another year in a scheme that will allow me to put up good numbers, throwing the ball to Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson, you know, the thing I think with cousins is he's not afraid of the uncertainty of where am I going to be in a year? I mean, he, he has used it. And we've talked about this. He's used that to his advantage a lot. You know, I, I think the fact that he played on the franchise tag twice kind of showed him that, Hey, there's still going to be a market for me. Even if I don't take the seven year deal, that allows the team to massage the cap and you know I trade in the flexibility or the leverage for years of, of guaranteed money and years of certainty. The fact that he has largely said no to that, I think has given him quite a bit of financial leverage and he's made a lot of money because of it. So I don't think he'd be afraid of playing out the deal and saying, well, you know, if I put up numbers, somebody's going to want me. Because that has been the bet too, is they have consistently made a bet against the, the quarterback depth in the NFL saying, look at how many bad quarterbacks there are. There's going to be a job for me somewhere. And so far, that has served him very well financially. And I I would think that would be a little bit of his approach going forward. Yeah, that would be my exact take was that this, this guy bets on himself. He bets yeah. on himself and he would welcome he would welcome that, I think. I mean, I'm sure he would be a little jaded by the Vikings not wanting to, and maybe he was last year, by the Vikings not giving him a, a new deal that was longer or them accepting a new deal that was longer uh, among the options that I'd heard that they'd given him but uh, or given them. But, I, I, yeah, Ben, you said it. Like, this guy's bet on himself. He is very comfortable with it, and why not ride it out with the best wide receiver in yep. football and then go to an open market that is – somebody is going to pay him um, what the Vikings wouldn't in this hypothetical scenario. Um, all right, well, we should wrap. Too, one more thing on that. When you look at the number of NFL head coaches 
that have worked with Kirk Cousins in some capacity. I'm not saying that all of them would say, give him to me now, that Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or Matt LaFleur or Mike McDaniel, uh, you know, all of those people that have worked with him, I'm not saying that they would all do that. But what it does mean is that the most popular iteration of offense in the NFL right now stems from a coaching staff that had Kirk Cousins early in his career, meaning there are relationships. I mean, all of this stuff is networking, just like any other job. There is a network for Kirk Cousins that is built with some of the most influential offensive minds in the NFL, and then those people have systems and coaching trees that get kind of populated around the league too. So uh, that certainly helps as you're sitting there saying, well, where am I going to be? There's a kind of a plug-and-play list of teams that could very easily look at you and say, yeah, this fits for us. Absolutely. All right. Well, that will be it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Thanks to you guys for checking this out. Please check out StarTribune.com for all of our work. And we will be talking to you, uh, should be every week throughout the NFL playoffs here, uh, especially as the Vikings hire their new defensive coordinator. And for that too, please check out our website and our newspaper and continue to get our podcasts wherever you get them. Well, um, it's our time to shine.